Hey mama, did you know you're a superhero? That's right, believe it. What's your superpower, you ask? Your intuition. We have a unique sixth sense for what our kids need and when they need it. My tribe and I call this mom sense. When you're a first time parent, it's scary and lonely and so exhausting. I know this all too well. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, and now a mother of three, twin toddlers and a baby, or my two for one and BOGO special. <laughs> I was thrown into the deep end of motherhood and it would sink or swim. I made a plan of action with my husband, built my village, met the right people, asked a ton of questions, and have learned so much in these early years. It's okay if you don't have time to read all the parenting books out there. And if you're watching YouTube videos on how to increase your supply while nursing or pumping and simultaneously posting in your neighborhood mommy group and buying diapers on Amazon, I've been there. That's why I launched my podcast for the mom on the go. You can passively listen when you're doing a drop off in your minivan, heading to work on the subway or cooking dinner for your family. I interview industry experts and real life mamas on their mom sense experiences, tackling topics like what to expect when you're done expecting, dealing with mom guilt, how to teach your kids to meditate, rekindling your marriage, and how to master your five minute makeup routine. And you know what the best part is? Each episode has tangible takeaways, homework that's fun. So you feel somehow changed for the better after listening to it. Not to mention relatable stories, inspiring quotes, and the best product recommendations from fellow moms. Hashtag mom win. Grab your latte that probably went from steaming hot to ice cold and take a listen to That's Total Mom Sense. I'm a busy mom of three, and I do not have the time to contour or deal with tons of brushes in my makeup bag. I'm all about cutting the clutter. That's why I made the switch to Wander Beauty. Their products double up so you have all the essentials while saving you space and stress. And by the way, the products are clean and cruelty-free. And get this, I can do a full face of glam makeup in five minutes flat in my minivan. Now that's pretty awesome. As my personal gift to my listeners, enter promo code MOMSENSE20 for 20% off all Wander Beauty products. Thank you for being in my tribe. Rebecca Minkoff is a global icon in the fashion industry, and she's been in the business for nearly 20 years and launched her brand along with her brother, Yuri. In 2015, she won Best Interactive Retail and Top Innovator at the Fashion 2.0 Awards. She's a multifaceted woman. She's also a wife, mom of three, founder of the Female Founders Collective, and hosts her very own podcast, Superwomen. Rebecca, it is an honor to have you on my show. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like you're living the dream, but you worked your butt off for that dream. And now you're helping other women live their dreams. And it's such an incredible journey that you've had. So I want to kind of start from the beginning, um, from your childhood and you know how you grew up in San Diego. So tell us about that. Uh, I grew up in San Diego. It was an idyllic, perfect, in my opinion, perfect little life. Fell in love with the craft of sewing and design when I was about eight years old. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted this dress. My mom refused to buy it for me, but she taught me how to sew. And I just became obsessed with the idea that I could create my own things. 
at the time, I, I regret feeling this way about it then, but I was <laughs> very painfully thin okay, and couldn't fit into clothing. And so the fact that I could tailor to fit me gave me a lot of confidence. So oh, that's wonderful. Just something um, I had a lot of passion about and then um, decided when I was 18 to move to New York and see what would happen. But I had to be in the fashion industry. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I read about and um, watched videos about was that your parents kind of raised you in a way to think that you didn't grow up with as much, right? Like it was like you had to earn your living. Yeah. Your parents, what they've earned is theirs and you have to kind of um, find your own path. And and I love that as a value that they, they um, imparted to you. So tell me about that. I think, you know, my dad was a doctor or is a doctor. My mom is a nurse. Um, but it never felt like we were middle class mm -hmm. in our household. Mm -hmm. Everything we wanted, uh, there was just this expectation of you got to earn it. There was a green ledger in the kitchen, and we would have our balances there. And if we wanted something, it, we had to do work to earn that money. Wow. And so I think that I probably thought that being a doctor was not a good career, <laughs> not that we were poor. Right, right. Uh, but I think they really wanted to raise humans that were self-sufficient and could mm. go after what they wanted and wouldn't be sort of given everything as a handout. And that definitely changed how you changes your own perception of work and what you need to do to earn things. Absolutely. Um, and so why did you choose to move to New York and, you know, you took an internship instead of college? Why were you like, no, this is what I'm going to do? So I think with our progressive household, mm -hmm. um, college was an option. Um, and I went and looked at a school and thought to myself, this is the last place I could see myself being. Oh, wow. And I just felt ready to work. I had an opportunity that was not well paid at all. It was mm -hmm. below minimum wage. But the fact that I could move here, make a little bit of money to eat, and get started in fashion just felt like this is what students who graduate are striving to do. So yes. I'm going to sort of skip that step. Yeah, that's um, so smart. Yeah, and then my aunt pressured me into going to school and that I'd be nothing without it. So I didn't roll at FIT for about a semester and mm -hmm. left. Okay. I just felt like, what am I doing here? I've learned this already. <laughs> right, right, right. And so you kind of wore many hats where you, where you worked and you kind of learned the business and the trade that way, right? Yeah, so I knew the trade as far as design. Mm -hmm. um, I had been doing that at that point for, you know, a very long time. But I think in my internship, you know, she had me for months at a time work in shipping, then in sales, then in PR. Right. Um, and I got to touch all aspects of the company. Um, looking back, I didn't know anything, but I thought I knew a lot about each <laughs> part of it. I knew enough to get, guess, get started. So yeah. that was very helpful. And then I settled in with a paid job there as designer. Okay. If you could just go back in time and be that 18-year-old version of yourself, how would you feel now? You have your own line, very successful um, business in the industry, and you've you know made your mark. Yeah. Like, is it just surreal? I think sometimes it's surreal, and other times you have felt every bit of mountain rock that you're climbing up with your fingernails, mm. so then you're like... <laughs> No, it feels this good or, you know, the times when you let yourself, I, I rarely do, but when I do let myself feel that good, you know, I'm like, well, I worked really hard for it. Oh, yes. Um, but I very distinctly remember um, a conversation I had with an ex-boyfriend in L.A. when I was 21 and I said, I don't think I'll ever be as successful as this friend of ours who's a very famous musician. I said, mm -hmm. you know, I just don't see that that's in the cards for me. Okay. And to look back and see what's been accomplished between my brother and I and the teams we have. You know, I would have told myself then, like, chill out. It's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'll, you'll do okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what is it like working with your brother, Yuri? Um, you know, I can't, I don't know any different. 
but I know that when you have a co-founder, if you're a single founder, you have your own set of challenges, right? Yes. You don't have that person to bounce things off of and help you be that other terminal that you can communicate with. Mm. So I know co-founders all have their own pluses and minuses. So our pluses are we were both raised with the same values. We have the same work ethic. We right. have the same uh, integrity and morals. Um, we're brother and sister. Do we fight? Yes. Do sometimes <laughs> things we're disagreeing about veer off into like brother-sister territory and that can cloud <laughs> the argument. But I think we've worked really hard in the last few years to just get along, mm -hmm. uh, keep the drama as little as possible, um, and just focus on building the business. Right, right. Um, so today is September 10th. And it's a very significant day because this was the day you had your first fashion show. That is. Um, and that was 18 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so um, do you remember anything about that show? I do. Um, it was a group show. Mm -hmm. So a gentleman who has a very successful PR company called Bradbury Lewis uh, was just starting out and he got his clients together who didn't have enough money to have a show and said, hey, We'll do five of you or four of you, and you'll each have five looks. Okay, okay. And I just was like, this is it. <laughs> I, w I will have made I remember the show ending, and I was like, I've made it. Yes. <laughs> um, and I just was so elated that, like, I don't know who was in that audience, frankly, and maybe yeah. there were a couple of PR people in the audience, but it just felt like this pinnacle New York moment. It was mm -hmm. on 10th Avenue before it was 10th Avenue now. Yeah. Um, at, at a gallery space. But it just felt like everything you dream about had, like, up to that point, you know, just materialized, and yeah, that's that's so cool. Um, what were the looks? Uh, I had five items, like five like outfits that I had designed. So mm -hmm. one was a, a denim tuxedo, Ooh. one was a pinstripe tuxedo, one was a sort of blouse, um, a leather skirt. I made everything. So that is amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Wow. Um, and so the day after, yes, nine eleven shook our entire world. Yeah. Um, but you took it upon yourself to to give back um, with your I Love New York t-shirts. Mm -hmm. um, so tell us about that philanthropic. So I had actually sent an I Love New York shirt that I had cut up and bedazzled to Jen Elfman, who was on Dharma and Greg. Of course. I sent it to her on probably the 9th or maybe the 8th mm -hmm. because she had requested it. So by the time she got it, it was the 13th. And so she, that was something she decided to wear on Jay Leno. Oh, okay. So wow. it was something that you could never have, like, planned Yeah. Or I, everything happens for a reason, right? It yeah. just, yeah. So Jay said, I like your shirt. She said, thanks, it's Rebecca Minkoff. And the next day, I mean, this was an email was still kind of in its infancy, but, like, <laughs> my email was flooded with, like, I saw your shirt on Jay Leno. I, like, you know. Um, and I was getting inquiries from media and magazines, and I just said, you know what, I'm going to capitalize on this, but I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm going right. to give 100% of my proceeds to, at the time, the Red Cross, right. and hopefully that this, this helps with something. That's amazing. Um, it's so great that you were able to give back in that way, you know, and um, just showcase the power and resilience that is New York. Your morning after bag yes. was a phenomenon. Yeah. So tell us about that. I really designed the morning after bag as an accessory to the collection. Um, I was just going to have one. Mm -hmm. um, and again, Jenna asked for it. I sent it to her. She was going to wear it in a movie. It did not make it to the movie because oh. FedEx delivered it. Okay. And I was getting, I made two, one for her, one for me as like yeah. a press sample. And I was just getting enough interest from women on the street that I thought there's something to this. Mm. So showed it to a friend of mine who was a buyer at a store. Mm -hmm. And she said, I know someone from Daily Candy 
don't know if yep. anyone yeah, of course remembers Stanley yeah, Candy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she'll write about it, and I'll buy 12 units for the store. Okay. So I didn't know what to expect, but within minutes of the store going live, the bag was sold out. They reordered 75 units, and I was like, oh, my gosh. This is the kind of, you know, uh, heat I've been waiting for with right, the brand. Right, right. Um, and that's when I started figuring out, like, oh, my gosh, I can't just buy these dog clips at Home Depot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I can't just, you know, this this could become a real business. Exactly. So called my dad, said, will you loan me some money? Said, no. <laughs> I wasn't surprised. Yeah, uh, yeah. Call your brother and we'll see. So my brother originally was just like loaning me like how much is production expenses to buy mm. the next batch of of leather, $2,000. Okay, here's $2,000. Then you pay me back. Okay, the next batch, $10,000. Okay, I'll buy you that. Pay me back. My and you were he, making all of these yourself? No, no, no. I was making them here in New York City. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and once he could see the numbers start to jump, you know, from he was giving me $10,000, then twenty five, then yeah. fifty. he was like, hold on a second. What's going on? Oh, right, so when right. he, like, lifted up the head, he's like, oh, okay, this is a big business. Yes. Let me make this more formal. Right, right, right. Yeah, you were, you were on to something. Um, and so then tell us what happened next, like how it kind of became this label and, you know? So I think at the time, again... Right around the the dawn of social media, it mm-hmm. was 2005, uh, we started having a very strong interest with specialty stores mm-hmm. and with department stores. Um, and then with the early blogs and websites and forums, you know, there was one in particular called the Purse Forum, where it's just girls talking mm-hmm. about bags and brands all day and they mm-hmm. had a dedicated section for me and when I came across this I said oh my god this is my fan base I should talk to them so yes. when I began that dialogue there was an immediate like what you're talking to us we don't you know you, designers never talk to oh, their okay. customers <laughs> yeah. um, which is normal now but back yeah. then it was very you know a famous department store said you're you shouldn't talk to your customer they're beneath you Mm. And my brother and I really felt like that was not the future. So right. we decided to double down on social just to have the conversation with her, not because there was a strategy or, uh, you know, at that time there were no ways to drive business. Exactly. But it was a conversation and it was access to these women and listening to them and getting to know them. Yeah. So we really used social media in absence of big, deep pockets Mm -hmm. uh, to really grow our company. Absolutely. And I think that that's the integrity of your brand. Um, You really, really know your customer um, and you kind of showcase who she is. like your, I am many. You right. know, there's so many different women um, who love and wear Rebecca Minkoff, and you represent all of them. So, how did you kind of weave in diversity into the DNA? I mean, I don't think it was something that you had to weave in. Mm-hmm. I think when I look at who my customer is, she mm-hmm. is diverse. Right. Right. So, why wouldn't I reflect her back? Right. In in right. that scenario. So back when it was just models on the runway, I've always, you know, since our first runway show, made sure to have a diverse set of women. Mm-hmm. Um, when then we said, okay, let's look at body types. Let's have short women, tall women, thin women, larger women, big boobs, small boobs, That's you know. Awesome. Uh, let's do influencers in our runway. And I think it's just keeping that conversation and that thread going. And maybe it seems like I'm on the bandwagon now, but I think if you... If you get your Sherlock hat on and go back, you'll see that it's been pretty consistent. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, And one other thing that you kind of um, advocate for is sustainability. So how is that woven into the brand? I advocated 
for it in a very specific way because I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the leather I use is sustainable okay, or yeah. the, the, that the plants that we manufacture in are all LEED certified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm very upfront <laughs> about that. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I think I'm making inroads where I can and it's a lot slower than I would like, mm -hmm. but the inroads that we've made thus far is our plastic in our packaging is recyclable, our cardboard is recyclable, we've eliminated hangers starting next year. Mm. Um, but I think the sustainable portion really comes into play. When you look at the uh, vast, the, the biggest producers of waste are fast fashion uh -huh. um, for the environment and for just goods that just get thrown away or burned. Right, right. So by transitioning to a sea by wear model, these brands can no longer copy you and get product to market ahead of you at a, at a quarter of the price. Uh -huh, yep. And so if you look at it from a perspective of, let's say more designers took this approach and didn't show a season ahead, mm -hmm. no one could copy them. Yes. And the two biggest or three biggest um, criminals in that right, industry exactly, yeah. wouldn't have anything to copy. The consumer wouldn't shop there. They'd shop at the brands. Right. And you'd very quickly eliminate a huge source of waste uh, in the industry. Yes, and, oh, that's so and smart. And shady practices. So right. I think that I look at it from that perspective, not just as a, I use vegetable leather, which I would love to use. Newsflash, my consumer doesn't like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think we're trying to look at it from a macro versus just sustainable in terms of recycling and eco-friendly. So tell us about your collection this season. We're smack dab in the middle of Fashion Week now, so I'm so glad you're here chatting with me. Um, but what was your presentation like? So my presentation was all about working women. And mm -hmm. I think from the women I personally work with every day to the 5,000 women, I don't know all, all of them personally, but from <laughs> the Female Founder Collective, just to the editor, stylist, the women that make this industry grow, I'm just inspired by us. Yeah. And so it was a, kind of an ode to those women and showcasing in a surreal type experience, you know, an office space, very brightly colored and filled with women in different options for workwear. Okay. Wow. That's great. And what were some of the colorways and textures? Uh, there was some beautiful fuchsias, yeah. reds, lavenders, uh, plaids, um, studded items. You should just... Instead yeah. of trying yeah. to listen to me describe yeah, yeah, it, just yeah. go online. Yeah, and do get the show. a visual. Get <laughs> a visual. Yes. Um, and what about your capsule collab with Stitch Fix? So we've been working with Stitch Fix since 2017. Mm -hmm. um, and they came to me with this opportunity to launch Plus uh, and inclusive sizing. And I uh, literally, you know, didn't hesitate because mm -hmm. I think that it's a customer I've been wanting to serve for a long time. Mm -hmm. And she's been a customer of my bags and shoes, but she could never buy the clothes. Right, right. And so I think that uh, it's easy to say, oh, every brand should just do this. It's very costly. It okay. is a huge investment. It's yes. also a huge risk if you yeah. don't have that customer. Right, right. Um, and when you do this, you have to make sure it fits well. Mm -hmm. So we were able to leverage Stitch Fix's uh, analytics and fit data to make sure that you do the proper armhole or you do the proper waistline and make sure that when, when a woman puts on your clothing, no matter what size she is, that it's really made for her body type. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And it suits her. Yeah, that makes sense. So technology is also embedded into the brand. Um, you have like um, digital dressing rooms mm -hmm. in your showroom. That's so cool. So tell us about that. <laughs> um, I think for us, when we went to look at our store concept, it was just about easing uh, a woman's pain points on her journey as uh -huh. she's shopping. So we just said, what are five simple things we can do? 
you know, can she order a size? Can she see when the associate's coming? Can she check out pain, you know, seamlessly? Right. Can she um, see dim the lights? Yeah. See how it accessorizes? Yeah. Um, and can she, like, shop? Because most women shop at occasion. Like, can she shop according to the different lighting mm. that might be in her room? So oh, I wow. think it was just looking at it from that perspective. You just you pulled out all the stops and thought of everything that we're faced with when shopping, which is, yeah, really, really incredible. You are an advocate for women, and you want to help them grow um, and have their own journeys. So how did you kind of think of this, and now it's 5,000 Women Strong? Well, that is also our year anniversary this oh, week. Oh, wow. Um, Such a, just a significant week and serendipitous to be talking to you this week. Yeah. So <clears throat> that came out of a meeting where I was trying to partner with a company. They asked me to look at their female-founded companies, mm-hmm. and I said, great, pull them out for me. They couldn't do that. They had no way to segregate these companies or look at them. And I thought, okay. well, if this is happening in a big company that has thousands of clients... It's happening to the consumer. She doesn't know how to shop female-founded. So right. could you have a symbol? Um, you know, as a mom, I turn over all my food to see if it's organic or non-GMO or right. you no know, parabens in my skincare. Could you turn over a label and just see, oh, this is a woman, and, mm. and vote your dollars that way versus not knowing who you're supporting? Yeah. So that was the goal. We launched again a year ago, and the momentum has been phenomenal has really organically grown into this vibrant community and it's on over the seals on over two and a half million products now to date your podcast superwomen is another way you showcase women um and it started from a fireside chat (laughs) yeah i was doing these fireside chats in my stores just to you know have an a way for women to interact with the brand that doesn't have to do with shopping yeah um and those were really successful but i felt limiting in terms of 75 people could fit into the store and I thought if I can take this and make it to something bigger, then 10,000, 15,000 people can hear these stories or unlimited, I guess. It's been just as rewarding for me to hear those stories as to the listener. To, yes, absolutely. I loved um, so many of the episodes that I've listened to um, with Athena, with Noor, yeah. Amreen Katya. Like every single one was so distinctly engaging um, and relatable. And you just you just want to binge through the whole thing. <laughs> So you're doing a great job. Thank you. Yeah. Um, tell us about family life, um, starting with you know, your husband and how you got married. <laughs> so I met my husband at a party in L.A. Mm-hmm. I was actually in L.A. because I was volunteering at a charity event, but I also went out there to reunite with my ex-boyfriend, who every year would call me and say, I just want to let you know I love you. Mm-hmm. And he was like the love of my life. So this time I was like, I'm getting on a plane. Uh, and as I was on my way to the airport to the ex's house, he's like, you can't come over here. I've got a girl here. So I rerouted Uh to my parents and when ended up going out to a party the next night and, uh, lo and behold, met my husband. Wow. Um, we did long distance for about a year and a half. And then his career basically with the recession of the music industry and Mm -hmm. when that whole thing shifted, He was a thriving musician, and his label went out of business, and he was told, come pick up your master's, and you're free and clear to go. Okay. Um, And he called me. He's like, well, I just lost everything, so I'll come to you versus you come to me. Right, right. And I was literally starting out. It's not like I had any, you know, I had an intern in myself. I was working into my apartment. I could barely pay the rent. Wow. So he saw that I had, like, the small, tender shoots of something. Yeah. And I was like, I think I can afford to, like, have you not helped me with rent for like a month for yeah. you to get on your feet? But like, that's it, buddy. <laughs> so yeah. um, we got married uh, about three years later. And then we decided to have kids 
what I had my son in 2011, so okay. about two years later. Okay, and you have three kids now. Have three kids. Um, so what are their ages, and tell us about their personalities and stuff. So Luca is my seven-year-old, my daughter is five, and I have a son, Nico, who's a year and a half. Uh-huh. Um, Luca, from the get-go, has always been this sweet, kind of earnest soul. Uh, when people say typical boy, he's not, I guess, in, okay. in the sense of, like, aggressive and... Uh, we have two neighbors that live right across from us, and they're like so they fight all the time, yeah. and they beat each other up, and they're like <laughs> uncontrollable. Right. So he's always just been very sweet, very active, but just very he has a very warm heart. Mm -hmm. um, and then my daughter uh, Bowie, I was like, I have to be conscious about how I'm going to raise my daughter to be strong. Yeah, and yeah. From the minute she came out, that woman is like, get out of my way. <laughs> exactly. So I'm just trying to not get in her way. This is like saying. So she's actually been my toughest child yes. because I don't want to squash that. But as a parent, it's really hard to deal with her lack of no one will control me. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had another boy who, thank God, is a, is probably the sweetest of all of them and the smartest. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, for his age, right, right, right. Milestones and yeah. all that. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't complain. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of parallels here, and I think it's just, it's so sweet. So I have three as well, and same, two boys and a girl. Um, and again, same dynamic. Um, I actually spoke to a personality psychologist expert, and she said um, oftentimes you have a cooperator child or a challenger child, and you could easily kind of classify. And I was like, my daughter's my challenger. Like she will give me that pushback. Um, very headstrong, which is awesome. You know, it's not something that we have to like pass down and it's right. great, but she's like the boss of our house. Right. <laughs> and my, yeah. And my boys are just super sweet. Right. So funny. <laughs> it's yeah, it's hilarious how it works out that way. Um, so what was it like being, you know, a first time mom for you? Just the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. So I think that my approach uh, isn't what I thought I would become. I think I didn't necessarily have, none of my friends had kid yet, kids mm. yet, so I really had nothing to compare it to. And I think the thing that sort of woke me up was I was, before kids, sitting with a friend of mine who was pregnant, and we watched The Business of Being Born. Oh, okay. And that gave me insight into this world of like, oh my gosh, like this is a messed up situation. What is happening in America to women and their care? And, yeah. And so then I just, when I got pregnant, I really wanted to be as researched as possible in terms of like, what are my rights? What are my... What do I, where, where are my boundaries? Okay. I think having a doula, which I didn't originally, again, anticipate on having, mm -hmm. but she started out doing prenatal yoga with me, and then I could I just ask her in a safe space, like, why would I have you versus a doctor or right. a nurse or whatever? Right. Um, and so when I finally figured out, like, I want a natural birth, I want a midwife for that, mm -hmm. I want a doula, mm -hmm. I want to have as little intervention as possible, mm -hmm. that's when I began this path of, like, more women need to be exposed to this. Yeah. And I want to amplify that in the best way, never to shame anyone, but to know that like we're being sold a horrible bill of goods mm. um, in this space. And as far, you know, you can have, it's funny, it's ironic, you can have someone who's fighting for the rights of women, but then we'll let a doctor tell her she's too weak to have a baby, right? <laughs> right, so, right, right, exactly. Or tell her she doesn't know better and that person doesn't have a vagina. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, there, there's a very, very, like a blind spot sort of on a lot of women. Yeah. 
Um, and I also think like women have been having babies for 10,000 years and <laughs> it was like 100 years ago that we were told we couldn't really in, mm -hmm. in the way we should. Right. So then I became sort of on the spectrum of advocacy, like really advocating in that way and, mm -hmm. and the same with mothering. Like I care what goes into my children. Am I perfect all the time? No. Yeah. Yes, they have pizza. They have cake. You yeah. know, we eat out. But I think my goal is to raise strong, healthy children and take the extra measures in order to do that and then right. for moms to like show that like it's not an easier path but like how you can be healthier in in, in myriads of ways yes yes so true um and then you're basically educating that these opportunities exist because like you said we i mean so many of us um are completely blind to it we don't we don't know that that's a path that we could choose yeah um very cool you know one thing that I know I've felt is, and so many moms out there feel, is just a sense of isolation at the same time. As much joy that your child brings you, it's really lonely. Yeah. You know, you're kind of um, stuck at home, especially when you're um, with a newborn and you're nursing and you're, you just literally sacrifice your entire being for right. this small child. Um, what were those points like for you and how'd you get through it? So I was fortunate in that my mom came up mm -hmm. uh, after I had each baby and she said, I'm here to take care of you so that you can take care of your child, yes. which is a very different mentality of like some people get a baby nurse, right. great, yeah. but that baby nurse is there to take care of the baby, right? Yes. And so I think my mom focusing on me, making sure I was fed, making sure I was like whole, I could then pour all my energy into that. And I also think um, in talking with a woman who started um, into the glass, uh, not into glass, uh, mm -hmm. the bump and the mm -hmm. knot. Yep. You know, in previous societies, in tribal societies, and up until a few hundred years ago, there was a community that would just naturally be around a pregnant woman. Oh, wow. And, and since we've all gotten our own apartments and separated our rooms from our children and all these <laughs> things, if, it's lonely as hell. Yes. But we created that. Right. It wasn't always that way, right? Right, and right. So you it was lose the village. your grandmas and your sisters and your aunties and whatever, right? Yeah. And so I think however you can recreate that tribe, whether you're paying for it or you have relatives that you actually like and yeah. are not, you know, stressful to you or friends, you have to recreate that. So you're never just alone with a baby all day because that's not how that's not how the human race made Ex it this far. Exactly. So I think it's exactly. key to sort of keep that in mind and say who's going to be the tribe. Mm -hmm. um, there's amazing women called postpartum doulas. Mm -hmm. You know, they come to you. So I knew for me with my son, going back to my first, mm -hmm. at six weeks I was bored out of my mind. I wasn't lonely. I was just bored. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'm going to go to work, you know, halftime. And see how I like that. So yeah. my first day, I, I sobbed. I was like, I'm damaging him. <laughs> but once I got into this thing, I was like, oh, I'm at work from one to five. This is great. Yeah. I finished my leave like that. With my daughter, I was like, I'm taking the full leave because I just want to max out. Right. And it was beautiful weather, so I could be outside. And then with my third, I was like, I'm definitely taking the whole leave. But it was February. Yeah. And let me tell you, you can't take that baby anywhere I in know, February. So I I, that's when I, at a month, hold up I was a like, I'm back. Yeah. I gotta go. I gotta leave this apartment. I know mentally for me, I cannot just be around a little stuffed animal all yes. day long. So yeah. not that I wanted to go back to work or mentally or physically I was ready. I just, I had to get out of the house and I right. couldn't take him. So like yeah. one of us had to <laughs> peace. peace out. <laughs> exactly. I totally get that. Um, and then did you have, um, I mean, we both are members of Hey Mama. So was that kind of like a support system for you as well? 
I think Hey Mama for me is a support system of whether I need a babysitter in mm-hmm. a different in a different city because I, t- I take my newborns every, or my babies with me the first year because I breastfeed them. Yeah. Uh, so a babysitter uh, in a different city to I need a tote bag printed. I mean, the range of things that you can get out of that community or, right. you know, when the day I launched my podcast, I could see a direct correlation between how many Hey Mama members there were and the spike in downloads. And, right, there you and go. I was like, Cool. Yeah. So, that's, yeah. That's your tribe right there. Yeah. What are some of the values that you've learned from your parents and that dynamic that you want to pass on to your kids? Definitely the hard work and the getting your children to contribute. Mm-hmm. Um, it's far easier for me to just clean up after them and to give, give, give. Yeah. But like, I really, again, want to create this mentality of like, if you want something, you have to work for it. So I say right. no a lot. Yeah. Um, each time I say no, it's like it, I, the words no are coming. And then in my mind, I'm like, I'm damaging them, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm not, they're going to become self-sufficient humans. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's, and a, you learn the hard way, you know, I mean, not all parents were, um, I feel like as disciplinarian and it did you good. Right. You know, I also think that um, I try and as much as I can, you know, keeping them from dying, try to let them be self-determined. They mm-hmm. are little adults in tiny bodies. Right. And so I try and have them be as self-determined as they can without squashing that because I think I see too many parents holding them back or, you know, telling their kids how they should act all the time. And I think mm-hmm. talk having a dialogue, uh, if you have the time and the bandwidth for it and the patience, to get them to come to a conclusion. Yes. Um, and, and then problem solve and yeah yeah and then something we learned just recently because we were working with this kid's counselor is to give if you have more than one kid give them their own time with you because yeah. they don't ever get it and for our middle our cha- most challenging child she became a different person when we said okay the next hour or two hours you're gonna make the plan we're gonna do everything you say. No presents, no TV. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, nothing. You can't, you can't endanger your body. No right. presents, no TV. Right. Tell me what we're gonna do. Okay. And to see her thrive under that, and we do it once a week now, and oh, we, nice. we kind of divvy it up, um, has been a huge game changer for us. What are some of the things they want to do? I mean, her typical girl, she wants to go get a manicure, but she yeah. picks my color. Mm-hmm. She picks the place, and we go get lunch. She picks it. She orders. Like she decides. She makes all the decisions wow. for me as well. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, and she's in heaven. And then for my son, he usually likes to play sports or whatever. Yeah. So I just think that's been, um, hugely helpful for our family. Yeah. Um, do you have any other kind of tips, like words of wisdom that you've learned, um, as a mompreneur really for, for the other, um, mompreneurs out there? I think that, um, I've spent a lot of time um, exploring my own boundaries and they change with each baby I decide to add mm-hmm. and that you start to start getting firm and that means you say no to things and you might miss out on opportunities but you have to test where you're okay and not okay and you can't look at other moms or at other workers and compare yourself so right. I think I've over the years learned okay this is too much time away this is too much time with them mm. even right or mm-hmm. this is when I can't go out on the you know like you just have to know for yourself what's right or wrong right um and just be have your own integrity versus what Instagram looks like exactly exactly it's like that um quote don't judge somebody else's highlight reel with your behind the scenes yeah let's not forget our quote of the day and is there a um, quote that you live by? 
Um, or one that's just, you know, kind of had an impact in your life? I want to say it was Gandhi. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be the change you want to see. In the world, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I really think that sometimes some of these movements can get really victim-y. This was done to me, and this happened to me. Yeah. And woe is me. And I'm like, stand up. Right. And demand change. And keep yelling. Are you worried you're going to get fired? Good. Then you sue. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm making There's an extreme example, but Rosa, Rosa Parks like didn't move from her seat. You know, she wasn't like, oh, the bus driver told me I had to move yeah. and I moved, right? Yeah. So yeah. these movements don't get started by being a victim to something. Yeah. So, so I think in these scenarios where you feel uncomfortable or you could back down or something it could happen to you, just like be the change you want to seek or you yeah, want to see. see in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and when you take the onus upon yourself to do it, you can make the impact. You right. don't have to wait for the second person to do it. Correct. You know? Um, wow. So true. It's now time for Mom Hall, when we share products we love. So is there a product that you're just loving right now? It could be beauty, parenting related, like wellness, anything that you're like, this is something that I want to share with the listeners. I mean, I love my Medela Freestyle. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm about to go pump right when we're done. Nice. Um, I hope you're not engorged because that sucks. I am, but it's okay. Okay. Uh, makes for more fruitful. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. It's experience. like, yep, yeah. Um, but the Freestyle, this is not an ad. I'm not sponsored by them. Yeah. Uh, it's allowed me to like continue this journey 18 months in because it's literally like the size of a grapefruit and I can yes. take it anywhere. Anywhere, and I've yeah. done it in a cab. I'm not one of those people that like hides in the bathroom stall, like a cab, you know, a boardroom, wherever, wherever it needs to happen, it happens. Right, right. Yes, totally. That's all. <laughs> and I feel you. I totally feel you. And where can our listeners find you and support you? So you can download and share Super Women with Rebecca Minkoff. It's wherever you listen to your podcasts. You mm -hmm. can follow me at Rebecca Minkoff. Great. Rebecca, this is so thank awesome. You. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> So I completely forgot to ask Rebecca about her mom sense moment when we were together since our conversation was flowing and I guess I was just having a fangirl moment. So she sent it to me after. Thanks again, Rebecca, for that. She says she always trusts her gut when it comes to her kids. So she has many mom sense moments sprinkled through the day. A piece of advice her mom gave her was to not take things too seriously. Don't sweat the small stuff because there's a lot of that with kids and you just have to remember to have fun. Great advice, right? Well, I want to take this time to thank you for listening to my show and being with me as I navigate this podcast journey. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, but you have made that total mom sense part of your lineup. And that honestly means the world to me. You rock. I want to also share a review um, from another guest of mine. Brooke Allen, and she wrote on Apple Podcasts, I love the variety of topics and the way that Kanika interviews her guests. It's real and so informational. It was a pleasure to be featured, and Heather and I could literally have talked all day. It was so natural and fun to chat with Kanika. So, Brooke, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Love to you and Heather and your two baby daughters um, that were born recently. And thank you all for tuning in. Visit thatstotalmomsense.com for updates on my latest episodes. Email me at thatstotalmomsense at gmail.com and follow me on Instagram at kanikaxoxo. See you next time, Super Mamas. 
Mom's Total Mom Sense.